2: Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and welcome to another Spare Parts episode of Unscrewed, where we bring you a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and we get you in and out in 15 minutes or less. We have a lot to get to this week, but I want to start off with a little listener mail. I've been hearing from a few of you some thoughts about masculinity. So, for example, listener Matt wrote in in response to the Spare Parts episode I did with Sadie Doyle. That episode's called Rich People Eat Cheetos. And he wrote, I was struck by the listener question from a survivor who had been discussing her sexual assault with her partner her partner had been reluctant to re-engage in the kind of dominant, submissive sex roles they had enjoyed previously. You and Sadie Doyle suspected that he suffered from misplaced paternalism and wasn't trusting that his partner knew her own situation. That might be the case, but my first thought was that he is ashamed. Uh, and he goes on to talk about actually another episode, "Feminist with Rape Fantasies, that we aired in during the hiatus in which Tristan Taramino and I talk about how hard it is sometimes for men to assume the role of the dominant especially if they think that reflects poorly on them basically like these are guys who've worked through some of their toxic masculinity issues and don't want to have power over women and how that can actually be a challenge in the bedroom in terms of playing out those roles even if it's happily consensual otherwise. Uh, And I think that's a really good catch, Matt, actually. I think that we hadn't really thought about that and your note is well taken. And there's another email that, it sounds different, but it made me think along the same lines, from listener Nobilis, wrote that he was listening to... Don't Fake Your Orgasms Ever, which is the show that we did with Steph Beatrice and Courtney Cossack. And one of them mentioned feeling sorry for guys who have been conditioned by romantic comedies to believe that if they're nice enough and persistent enough, they will eventually, quote, win the girl. He wrote, I want to express my support for this idea, but it's not just romantic comedies. The modern toxic model of masculinity puts so much scorn on the man who gives up, quote unquote, that it can be an act of supreme self-destruction for a man to admit that a woman will never be attracted to him. It's part of a much larger problem than just Hollywood. So also super true. Yeah, absolutely. So here's what I have to say about that. Keep the emails coming. But also I've been thinking for a while even before this election took a turn for the predatory that we need to do an episode about masculinity and sexuality. So thanks for the emails. Thanks for, you know, pushing back and, and expanding our narratives and staying in conversation with the episodes. I love hearing from you all and look forward to a masculinity episode sometime soon. I haven't got it figured out and booked yet, but hope to get it to you in the next couple of months. All right, next up, more listener mail in the form of an advice question from listener Becca, who's struggling with being called a late bloomer. I read her question to Renee Bracey Sherman, who was our guest on last week's show, Your Body's on the Ballot, and we both weighed in. Here's how that went. So listener Becca writes, I am a sex positive 24 year old virgin. I found myself in various communities in the last few years. I have a range of views on sex and sexuality. I often find myself feeling very uncomfortable on both ends of the spectrum. I do not feel comfortable saying I will wait until marriage to have sex, which is the message I grew up hearing, nor am I comfortable disclosing the fact that I'm a virgin to my more sexually progressive friends. I don't want people to feel like I'm a prudish or behind the times or not liberated or any of the other labels being associated with those who remain virgins later into life. This brings me into my question. Why do we refer to people who have their first sexual encounter later in life, i.e. after the median age of 17 in the U.S. as late bloomers? I feel like I have lived a satisfying life up to this point in time, so I tend to have a very negative reaction to terms that make it seem like I am not living my life in a satisfying way. I'm not trying to censor other people's language, but I feel as if sexually progressive people I know tend to villainize those who choose to wait longer to have sex in whatever definition, not only penetrative heterosex. Oh, you know, I feel like I probably have been guilty of using the phrase late bloomer. I know lots of people who do, but back up more than that, I feel you on this way sex positivity often curdles into judgment. Have you encountered that, Renee? Yeah, I
1: mean, I think there's just stigma around sex in general, whether you decide to have it or whether you don't. And it adds to this, like, confusing, like, wow, where am I supposed to be? you shouldn't feel like you can't talk about your sexuality and how you've decided to embark on it when you've decided to embark on it. There's a term that a friend of mine we've used instead of virgin, that's just saying like, ah, this is your like sexual awakening. This is your first hurrah. Well, your first hurrah. Yeah. Instead of saying like you're like a virgin or that, oh, you're a late bloomer or something like that to put, this negative spin on it but just to say like yeah I had my first hurrah at 15 or I had my first hurrah at 31.
2: Can you have a first hurrah with different sexual things?
1: Yes absolutely.
2: Like I had my first oral sex hurrah. Yeah
1: and I also think that you know we don't talk enough about people who may have also had sex and then decided that they're just actually going to remain abstinent for however much amount of time until they want to have sex again and then that's okay so we really do need to kind of fight the stigma around it
2: i agree and i do think that there's a strain of sex positive rhetoric that suggests that the way we prove we're liberated is by doing the most sort of extreme or outre sexual things and you know i get that myself people who listen to the show regularly are probably sick of hearing me talk about it but like i'm temperamentally monogamous I've had plenty of periods of time where I haven't been but that's mostly because I hadn't had anyone in my life who I wanted to be monogamous with but I like monogamy and people make all kinds of assumptions that like that means you haven't worked your shit out or It means you're uptight or, you know, all of this stuff. So while I had my first hurrah before the median age of 17, right, I definitely have experienced some of that pressure to prove one is liberated or fulfilled or whatever through doing sex stuff you might not be interested in. So I hear you. And, you know, I I have to admit, Becca, I want to thank you. Like, I've never really thought about the phrase late bloomer specifically in those terms before. But it's true. Like, I'm sure you have bloomed like you sound like you are pretty bloomed and what you're deciding to do or not with your sexuality shouldn't be relevant to that. So I'm I'm going to be more thoughtful and, and try and replace that language. I also just
1: love that she's very open about being sex positive and a virgin, that those things aren't in contradiction to one another, that you can say like, yeah, I want everyone to have great sex and let's talk about sex. And I am not having it. And that's okay. So I, I, Becca, I think that's just wonderful that you're really kind of creating that tension and getting us to interrogate our words and our thoughts. And it's really
2: awesome. Yes. Thanks for writing. And you keep doing you. And uh, you can send folks who give you a hard time about it this podcast. Yay. And if you have an advice question you'd like help with on a future show, send it in. Send it to me at unscrewed at jacquelinefriedman.com. You can also send it to me as an audio file if you want your voice on the show. You can tweet it at me. Send in your questions, and we will get them answered by me and a future guest. I love hearing what's on your minds. And last but certainly not least, before we thank Renee Bracey Sherman one more time for her service to Unscrewed Nation, I wanted to share a clip from my interview with her that we didn't have time for in last week's episode called Your Body's on the Ballot. I asked her to do something that's pretty hard for me to do these days. Look past the election on November 8th to think about what challenges lie ahead. Even if we elect Hillary Rodham Clinton, if we get the Senate, there's still going to be a lot of work ahead of us. Here's what she had to say.
1: I mean, obviously, I hope that we'll repeal the
2: Hyde Amendment. Woo! How realistic do you think that is?
1: So it's it's complicated, right? Because it's a budget issue. So my hope is that the next president whoever she may be, will actually leave it off of her first budget. This is something that organizations have asked Obama to do year after year. And we had this glimmer of hope that maybe he would do it for his last year because he was turning into give no fucks Obama, but he still gives lots of fucks around paternalism and sexual health. So he left it on there. So we're hoping that it'll be left off the next budget. So that's something that folks can kind of look for and organize around. On the other side is ensuring that the Each Woman Act actually gets passed so that we actually don't have to do this budget issue every single year. It just makes sure that federal funds can be used for abortion, particularly for like those in Medicaid, so that we're not doing this budget fight. Why it's really important and why we have to stay vigilant is because Republicans have been taking the language of the Hyde Amendment and inserting it into Other bills, sometimes that have nothing to do with abortion, like one designed to support survivors of sex trafficking, but they put the Hyde Amendment language in there so that they could not get access to abortion services with federal funds should they need them. We also need to stay really vigilant as we're talking about over-the-counter birth control. We need to make sure that we're supporting bills that ensure insurance is still covering the birth control.
2: Is this a bill you're seeing pop up in different
1: states? We're definitely seeing it's in the Senate right now. There's two versions.
2: In the federal Senate? Yes. I was totally unaware of this. And there are versions in states,
1: but part of the problem is it's giving Republicans a pass to say that they support birth control and so they don't look as anti-choice and anti-reproductive freedom as they
2: are when in fact what they're doing is actually making birth control harder to access
1: they're making it harder to access they're making it more expensive because a lot of people don't know that without your insurance birth control can be anywhere from like 70 to a couple hundred dollars a month depending on what kind you get if you get an iud it's over a thousand dollars and so you know We want to make sure that insurance is still covering this because it is preventive health care. We have to really interrogate what are their reasons for doing these things.
2: Well, and we have to interrogate what the bill actually does, not just what it looks like it does. Absolutely. Right.
1: I think lastly, we have to hold all of our elected officials accountable and not just the next administration. We need to make sure that the Senate is not just sitting around and trying to pass bad bills, but they're actually putting another justice on the Supreme Court and that it's a justice that's going to support reproductive freedom and not just uphold Roe v. Wade, but ensure that we uphold Whole women's Healthy Hellerstedt, which is the recent decision that struck down all of the anti-choice restrictions, particularly in Texas, but the restrictions that are designed to shut down abortion clinics. Also, a lot of our members of Congress are wasting taxpayer dollars holding hearings to Uh. codify racist and sexist myths into the record. Um, I sat and was fuming at a hearing on Prenda, which is basically a bill that bans race and sex-selective abortion. What it really does is it's targeting people of color, and it's saying that we're having abortions for reasons that we're
2: really not. Well and it, cre- it creates if i understand correctly like an extra hoop that you have to go through to prove that you're not doing it for race and sex selective reasons. It does. Which is like how you how do you prove a negative? Like and perpetuates racist stereotypes and that,
1: you know, they often are like, well, black people are having abortions at higher rates. Yes, that's true because there's lack of access to birth control.
2: And lack of access to sex ed, yeah.
1: There was a representative who compared black women having abortions to the killing of puppies like this is what our legislators are spending time talking about on our taxpayer dime it is awful and so we need to hold them accountable and call them out and say that this is not acceptable and when they're back up for re-election make sure that they have to own that record
2: Thanks once again to the brilliant Renee Bracy Sherman for all the info and insight. The best way for you to thank her is to vote, 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 vote. Those scenarios that she just described will look a lot worse if we don't get the White House and the Senate and as much of the House as we can and your state houses and all of that good stuff. Go to IWillVote.com if you don't know if you're registered or if you don't know how to vote or where to vote or need any information about voting. It's real simple. Just do it. That is the price of admission to your democracy. That is all we have time for this week. You can find me, as always, on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F and on Instagram at Jacqueline Fable and on my website at JacquelineFriedman.com, where you'll find show notes and past episodes for the show and all kinds of other stuff about my work and public appearances and stuff like that. You can find this show everywhere. Fine podcasts are purveyed, iTunes, Acast, Stitcher. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Never want you to miss out. And also while you're in iTunes, you know I'm going to ask. Give us five stars. Give us a little review. That is how you help other people find the show. Pay it forward, please. This episode was edited and produced by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman. Our In-N-Out music, which is kicking in right about now, is by The Pink Tiles. And our cover art is by Nicole DeDonna and was produced in collaboration with The Establishment, which also produced The Sound Cues. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives.